Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's can I... awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org app. are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We, we've said all year along that we don't pay attention to things that go on on the outside. We, we concentrate on things that go on inside this locker room and inside this building. North's not a part of this locker room. is not a part of this building anymore. So we move forward. We're worried about the Detroit Lions. It's a Friday on Locked On Vikings and the Locked On Podcast Network, the rapidly growing network across the country. A little piece of it here on Locked On Vikings. Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, and follow the network at Locked On Network. Sage, it's been a busy week here in Vikings country with the departure of Norv Turner. We got some injury issues. We got a team that's lost two consecutive. I think it's it's got to feel good for Minnesota just to be on the verge of playing another football game in their friendly confines where they can hopefully get back on track. Yeah, that might be the, the best thing to have going for them right now is playing at home, which they've played uh, extremely well this season. And, and just in the past, they've always played uh, pretty well at home, whether it's the Metrodome or whether it's in the the new U.S. Bank Stadium. So uh, a lot of negative news this week. Uh, it doesn't seem like this team is 5-2 and two, uh, based off of the last uh, uh, couple days. And, uh, yeah, a lot of injuries, obviously the North Turner uh, departure. Um, a lot of things feel like up in the air uh, going into this football game, and it's going against a, a good football team. This Detroit Lions team is good. It's, it's, it's pretty hot coming in here. They're playing good football effort, I think, is – uh, playing like a top five quarterback this year, and and uh, it should be a good football game. Now, Pat Shermer gave his first press conference yesterday, talked about everything he learned from Norv Turner, talked about everything he learned from Chip Kelly last year, and I think that's a funny comparison because you've got the most new school you can have in Chip Kelly and this modern NFL thinker with the, the no-huddle offense and the up-tempo, and then you have Norv Turner, who's a football lifer, a little more old school. I got to imagine that Shermer ideally could take the best of Kelly and the best of Turner and, and come up with this perfect offense. And a lot of people say that Shermer kind of prefers the West Coast concepts in his offense. Uh, I, we, we hear a lot about West Coast. We hear it's kind of quick throws, right and left, you know, get it out of your hand quickly. But, I mean, as a guy who's, who's probably studied multiple offenses, what, what is the West Coast offense, you know, at its core? What, what are some of the facets that make it work? Well, my rookie year, and I came into the NFL, uh, we ran the West Coast system in Washington. Uh, Jimmy Ray was our offensive coordinator, and, and he had come from the, you know Kansas City. It was a Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. And so you know, this goes back to uh, you know Joe Montana. Um, and uh, so I've been around the West Coast, or I was around the West Coast, for a lot of my career, uh, probably over half my career. Obviously, that was the, also the offense under Daryl Bevel 
when I was with the Vikings. And so, uh, you know, people talk about West Coast or the North Turner type system or, or the New England type of system. And I think a lot of it, one of their, the, the, the plays are, are a lot of teams run a lot of the same plays. Uh, but to me, it's more of the organizational aspect of how you install plays and how coaches work um, and things like that. There are definitely West Coast concepts, but North Turner ran West Coast concepts as well. I mean, the old tight end stick route is uh, originally a West Coast concept, but Nor ran those uh, a ton as well. So I think what uh, Pat Shermer is going to do is he is going to mix some of these West Coast uh, uh, things that probably add a little more to them than what Norv was doing. Uh, but uh, I think that the, I, I always feel like offensive coordinators, offensive minds are influenced every year by things they learn from other coaches, whether it's a West Coast team and somebody adds to the staff that's not from that world or, um, or whatever. And I think the fact that he did uh, uh, work for Chip Kelly uh, in, in Philadelphia he's going to have a few things that he really liked that Chip Kelly did. Uh, he's not going to run the Chip Kelly offense, but there might be a half dozen or a dozen things that, man, I really like that concept or I really like that idea. And I think a good offensive coordinator is constantly adding uh, ideas from other really good football minds to their repertoire. And I feel like uh, uh, though a lot of this offense will be the traditional West Coast offense, things like Andy Reid uh, ran and Mike Holmgren and those things for years and years and years, uh, it'll have some spice to it. It'll have some things that North Turner's done uh, this this last uh, this year and in the past, and it'll probably have things that Chip Kelly has done in the past. So uh, hopefully, it has a nice variety, and and it can uh, this offense can improve. So when you're a quarterback and you run into a coordinator, let's say that the quarterback skill set doesn't fit the coordinator's scheme, who meets in the middle? Who comes further? toward the other party i mean are the coordinators and quarterbacks kind of working together to come up with with something in the middle or does the quarterback have to accommodate the scheme or or is the coordinator accommodating the quarterback how does that play out well i think you know, you get drafted to a team or you become a free agent and you go to a new team and you, you obviously you try to uh, run the offense that your coordinator has but to me it's i've always felt um it's up to the offensive coordinator uh, to use the athletes that they have and use the quarterback that they have and their skill set. Um, you know, it's sort of, you know, as Parcells used to say, you ask me to make the soup, but you don't let me pick out the, the ingredients. Well, when a coordinator has his offensive system or has his offensive players, those are the ingredients. And you can't run uh, routes and things for big, tall receivers if you don't have big, tall receivers. You have to figure out what you do have. And so, uh, you know, my guess is that, uh, you know, a good offense corner and hopefully Pat Shermer does this is he makes the most out of what he does have. And uh, uh, you always have what, uh, you know, everyone would like to have Julio Jones. Everyone would like to have Tom Brady as your as your quarterback. But, you know, no other teams do other than those teams. Right. So you have to figure out what your guys are good at and, and uh, take advantage of those of those abilities and those skills. And, and a good offensive coordinator, I think, more bends toward the players they have. And over time, you hope to try to add, whether it's through draft or free agency, the players you'd like to have for your offense. Uh, but yet you got to make the most out of what you do have on your team on the current roster uh, at that time. Do you think Sam Bradford was a good fit in the Chip Kelly offense? No, uh, I don't. Um, it didn't, didn't make any sense. I mean, I, I think I actually thought Colin Kaepernick was going to be a decent fit out there in San Francisco. I mean, Chip Kelly came from college. Uh, came from Oregon, 
Uh, and yeah, think of the, the players that played for him in Oregon, guys like Mariota, uh, Dennis Dixon, you know, run, or quarterbacks that could throw it well, but also could run it very well, run that spread, uh, as you see all these college uh, offenses doing nowadays, you know, the zone read out of the shotgun and, and things like that. And uh, I try to bring that sort of college spread game to the NFL. And Sam Bradford is a traditional pocket passer as you're going to get. Uh, he is in the pocket or play action. Maybe a little bit of bootleg stuff, but he is not um, a supreme athlete that I think would flourish in that spread style of offense. He is really the opposite of Marcus Mariota. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network, Sam and Sage. Make sure to check out Locked on Lions with Matt Derry, who I was on with earlier today. That'll be replayed on Locked on Lions on Friday's episode. So a couple injury concerns for the Vikings. Alex Boone, as well as Eric Kendricks, both concussed, have both missed the first two practices this week. So you've got your left guard, another offensive lineman potentially out, and then Eric Kendricks and every down linebacker who's playing in that nickel also potentially out with a concussion. Let's start with Boone. I assume that Jeremiah Searles would be the next in line at left guard. He filled in there during the Carolina game and actually did quite well. But you lose a big body in there, that could be another another devastating hit to that offensive line. Well, yeah, the hits keep on uh, coming for that offensive line. It's already the weakness of the team, and, and Alex Boone is probably the best or, or one of the best uh, offensive linemen. He's a veteran. He's been there. He's done that. He's been in big football games. Uh, he's a very tough guy, and uh, he would be – uh, very much missed along that offensive line. It's already a weakness on the football team. And if he doesn't play, uh, that sort of adds insult to injury as far as things that are, are going to hurt this offense. And then on the other side, Eric Hendricks potentially out. That leaves an opening in the nickel. So who do you think is well-suited to play next to Anthony Barr? I mean, obviously Chad Greenway is a guy who could probably fit in and know exactly what to do but does he have the, the ability to cover well enough? You mentioned the other day that he's great at covering some tight ends. He's got decent athleticism in coverage, or at least he used to. He's getting longer in the tooth. But you've also got uh, a guy like Edmund Robinson or Emmanuel Lemur. Well, my thought is that Greenway will be the, the three-down linebacker uh, in play and be sort of the third-down you know, the, yeah, the linebacker. His specialty over the years has always been covering tight ends and uh, and things like that, man-to-man, running backs, man-to-man. Uh, my, my thinking is that uh, even though Chad's more of a first and second down linebacker now, they might take him out a little bit on first and second down, so he's fresh for third down, which means guys like Audie Cole might step in who are more traditional run-stopping you know, type linebackers. Audie's not as athletic in the passing game good you know good in the in the run game and so my guess is that they actually just might move chad a little bit more from a first and second down guy to a second third down guy and bring somebody else in to fill those holes uh in the running game so at this point in the week we're on we're at friday here where are you at in the team meetings i mean they're they're probably meeting right now as we speak over at winter park what are they talking about you know they probably just they've probably looked at film of the previous week's game they've looked at film of the Detroit Lions, they've installed a lot of stuff. What are the discussions like on a Friday morning? Well, your main work days are Wednesday and Thursday, and, and that's when you put on your, your Wednesday, you put in all your first and second down type plays, and, 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 and uh, Thursday you start putting in uh, you know, third down plays and maybe some red zone stuff. Uh, Friday is that day where you install 
uh, sort of unusual plays uh, like goal line and short yardage, uh, those types of things. Maybe some more red zone, uh, you know, type plays. Uh, but it's also it's it's the day where you want to sort of bring everything together, all that first and second down stuff on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, review it all and then go out there and have a, a nice practice and try to be as perfect as possible. It's sort of your final, uh, you know, sort of full speed dress rehearsal. Uh, for the Sunday's game. Saturday's just a walkthrough. So it's really the day where you put everything together and and, uh, and, and hopefully come out of that practice at uh, at 1 o'clock thinking, you know, we, we got a good game plan. Practice was crisp and smooth. Uh, we know what we're doing uh, and everything and feeling good of going into Sunday's game. So uh, right now they are probably, you know, obviously there's a, usually about an 8 o'clock meeting um, for most teams, and uh, that's when the head coach talks for a little bit. And right now they're probably – reviewing tape uh, from yesterday's practice and, uh, and installing some of the plays that they want to use in the red zone or, or goal line in, sh in short yard situations and getting ready for, my guess is, what is the practice, probably around 11 or, or, or 12 o'clock uh, later on this morning. Now, here's the important question. Were you a member of the Saturday Morning Donut Club in Minnesota? I don't know if I was a member because I don't think it was really a thing at that time yet. I, they definitely had donuts in the train room, and I was going and I was stealing donuts like everybody else was. Uh, but I wasn't injured, so I wasn't uh, really part of the donut. It really started with the guys who were injured, who were getting treatment, and, uh, and, and they always had two or three boxes of donuts in there. And then I feel like as I was leaving, uh, it started becoming a thing. I mean, Twitter and and, and, uh, and Instagram and all that stuff wasn't nearly the thing it is now. And I, I, I believe Brad Childers and Leslie Frazier, they weren't much for Twitter uh, as part of the, uh, you know, what the staff was almost allowed to do right. uh, back then. And so I think that uh, has changed a little bit. And Eric Sugarman, the head trainer, who's been there a long time, uh, something that uh, it's, it's an enjoyable thing for the guys. And maybe when I was there is – a little five or six person donut club. And now it seems like it's uh, it's over half the team. So uh, it's, it's nice to have a little bit of fun on a, on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Those articles are great that have been written about the donut club with the, the bylaws and they've got like the, the commissioning board and the, you know, the president of the club and, and they've got strict regulations too. Like you can't eat your donut until there's been a toast. And I think Everson Griffin gives a speech because he's the designated speech giver. They've really expanded the bureaucracy there in the donut room. Well, if you consistently look at the pictures, uh, you'll see like Harrison Smith uh, generally looks not that all excited, and he holds his donut up like it's uh, you know it's it's bothering him or something like that. Usually, guys have a consistent way they take that picture. And then there's the young guys who are just excited to be a part of like their tradition. But you, if you look at the veterans of the team who've been doing it for four or five years uh, and you watch, look at them consistently, those are the ones that I'm always paying attention to. Well, it's interesting because that's sometimes the only image you see of the injured guys actually in the facility because the media, <laughs> the media never sees Teddy Bridgewater. We never see Matt Khalil. You, you don't see Andre Smith, but you often see them in that donut picture. So it's proof that they are alive and well and uh, rehabbing. Well, the original aspect of the donut club really wasn't a good thing. It basically meant you were in the train room all the time and you were definitely in there on a Saturday morning, you know, getting treatment, trying to get, either trying to get ready for a game or rehabbing for some sort of future game. So originally it wasn't like a a badge of honor that you really wanted to have. But, uh, you know, at some point you're always walking through the train room anyway to grab something. And now it's, uh, 
now it's you have a good reason to be in that training room. Is you know, as always a Bud Grant never liked guys in the training room, right? Because that means you're injured and you weren't you weren't helping out the helping out the team. But uh, now it's uh, it's become the thing to do on a Saturday morning. Yeah, good sense of camaraderie for sure. Well, uh, we spent five minutes talking about donuts. Now let's pick some football games. We got three NFC North teams in action, and then we'll pick one more game: Broncos Raiders because the Bears are off. So. Let's let's start with that uh, out of conference game. Broncos at Raiders. A couple six and two teams. It is in Oakland. Is Oakland going to wrestle away the lead in the AFC West from Denver? I think yeah. I think Oakland's for real. Uh, this should be a very good football game. And and uh, obviously, uh, uh, Derek Carr has been leading that offense out in Oakland. He threw for five hundred yards last week, and but he's going against a. Uh, probably one of the best, if not the best, defense in the NFL with that Denver Broncos defense. And so he's going to have his work cut out for him. But I do like the home game in this one. I got a feeling that Trevor Simeon, who was just named captain, by the way, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos, just named captain for the second half of the season, uh, he's going to have a rough game in this one. Going to throw two interceptions, and the, and the Raiders are going to come out with the lead and, and, uh, and win this football game and take the lead in the AFC West. So of the 2014 2014- quarterback draft class we got johnny manzel blake bortles teddy bridgewater jimmy garoppolo zach mettenberger and Derek carr i mean carr is is by far the leader if you had to redraft right now right well yeah right now he's playing like he's a top five quarterback in the nfl i mean some people have him as an mvp candidate right now i mean he's supremely supremely talented and doesn't seem to have the negatives that his older brother david had doesn't get sacked all that much. He's got a quick release and uh, doesn't just have a strong arm. He's been doing a spectacular job of, of managing games and, and coming back at the end. And seems like he's always uh, – he's one of those guys, sort of like a far, where if you put the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter on, on the last drive, uh, he's got a chance to, to bring you back and, and win the football game. Packers hosting the Colts. Green Bay getting back home, trying to bounce back from a tough loss against Atlanta and maybe catch the Vikings in the NFC North. There's still a game back. Packers hosting the Colts. Who you got? I like the Packers probably by at least two to three touchdowns in this game, maybe 17 points. Uh, I, they played at Atlanta and played them extremely well. Atlanta just blew out Tampa last night. They're, they're one of the best teams in the NFL right now. And, uh, and the Packers played them very well. Rodgers played better. His receivers played better. I'm not sure who's all back as far as running backs and, and receivers is concerned for the Packers, but I still like them by uh, at least two touchdowns in this football game. And the big one, Vikings-Lions, noon on Sunday. Does Minnesota bounce back? Well, you know, I'd like to say yes, and I think you and I have both predicted the the, uh, the Vikings would win every game this year, maybe. Maybe it was a Carolina game we said they, they wouldn't win, but uh, uh, what bothers me is I – Matthew Stafford has played really well this year, and uh, I'm worried that he's going to come in that dome uh, and play well one more time. And uh, so I'm actually going to pick against the Vikings this week uh, and go with the Detroit Lions by a field goal. Uh, I'm going to say 20 to 17. Okay, Sage goes against the grain. Here's what I've got for those three games. I also like Oakland. I think they're going to have a big crowd. I think they're going to get it done. I think Derek Carr takes care of the ball. They don't give the Broncos defense any gifts. Oakland wins that game. I also like Green Bay at home, though that defense still scares me. If Andrew Luck can get hot, it could be another shootout like they had against Atlanta. And then with the Vikings, 
to keep some positivity with the program, I'm going to take Minnesota. I also think it's going to be close. I think the Detroit's offense is really good right now, though they haven't been great on the road. I think it's going to come down to the communication. How can Matt Stafford cope with the noise on third downs? And can the Vikings put Detroit in some passing situations? In the Vikings last year, sacked Matt Stafford eight times when they played at Ford Field and then several more times uh, when they played at TCF Bank Stadium. They really battered him. And if they get him in clear passing situations, that's when Zimmer's defense likes to pin its ears back. Now, the reason they haven't gotten great pass rush the last two games is because teams have been running the ball more effectively against them. And the Vikings aren't going to be blitzing as much in third and three as they are in third and 11. So the Vikings need to be better on first down, better on second down, and then they'll get that pressure on Stafford. I do think Minnesota wins it. I think it'll be 23-19 to 19 Vikings. Well, it should be a good one. My, that is my concern is, is the Vikings, well, at least offensively, is the rush defense with, if Kendricks does not play in this football game. If their rush defense isn't as good and the Vikings don't have third-long situations. When the Vikings get in third-long situations, they win football games. When they can't stop the run, they lose football games. So it uh, should be a very good one this weekend. And for the record, I think you've picked against the Vikings twice now in eight games. You picked against them in Green Bay and now this week. And I picked against them uh, against Green Bay and against Carolina. So we're not total homers here, Sage. We probably should be keeping track of these predictions uh, that we have every week and having some sort of tally uh, for the end of the season. But, you know, either way, should be a good game. The NFC North is definitely heating up. The Vikings are in the, in the thick of things for sure. Uh, the question is, can they play really good football the second half of the season as it seems like the Packers and the Lions are starting to heat up and the Vikings aren't playing nearly as well as they did the first five games. That's Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. We'll have a full recap and our X factors and or scapegoats on Monday as we recap Vikings and Lions. Enjoy the game, everybody. This has been Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.